Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. There was a great deal of hubbub as we struggled to arrange your long and very hairy legs across the arm of the dining room chair. I remember being thankful you had not gone swimming yet as I did not want your behind leaving a big wet spot in my lap. Once you got settled, I affectionately put my arms around you and rubbed your back as I gently rocked you in the chair, softly asking if you felt safe now. You leaned your head against mine and in that classic Kornheiser tone that reveals a rising annoyance. You said emphatically, you know, the CDC says spooning is dangerous. <laughs> what? The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. I can't tell you how many texts I've gotten about <laughs> wanting to know the exact words that Rieger used. I can't even tell you. How many times did you read that over the weekend? <laughs> I read it once uh, to see if I could read it out loud, and I decided against it. Rob Stronick said, just tell me. Just tell me what she said. <laughs> um, I wanted to open with, obviously, we're going to talk about the football all day because it's the greatest weekend <laughs> in the history of sports. It is. It's the greatest. But I want to read this letter first to lead into it. This is from Anna Grierson who I think works for, uh, if the paper is, if I'm right on this, it's a paper called The Union Mutual in Montpelier, Vermont. But I could be wrong on that. Just, if you recall, we talked last week about people winning awards from the National Sports Media Association. One of them was Curry Kirkpatrick. One of them was Jeff Passan. One of them was Jackie McMullen. I mentioned it. And she writes, Anna Grierson writes, first time, long time, little. We'd like you a lot to say. What inspired me to write this first time was you're mentioning the NSMA awards and the latest class of winners. Why does it always seem like these awards are a long time in coming for every winner? Nobody knows what sports writers go through. To be fair, nobody listens to our griping because we get paid to care about sports, except sports writers. I'm a very proud three-time NSMA state winner, Vermont Sports Writer of the Year 2012, 13, and 14. And I think it's important to note the award is voted on by your peers, which makes it so much sweeter. These people are in the trenches with you who endure the keyboard warriors, the angry moms, the I can't believe I barely get paid to do this moments. Bravo to the winners across our fair land from the tiny papers like mine in Vermont to the grand stage. When I won in 2012, I was the only female to win any award. Jackie Mack helped me with a project in journalism school. Me trying not to sound like a dope. Was there a time in your career when you faced something controversial in your reporting? Jackie graciously, yeah, his name was Len Bias. Me to myself immediately recognizing the dopiness of my question. I am so getting an A on this. <laughs> Thank you to her especially for all she has done for the profession, proving women belong in the press box, the locker room, the radio, the television. Also of note, I'm currently reading the best American sports writing of 1998. I highly recommend the series for lots of reasons, but especially these older collections. Older, I add parenthetically, cuts me to my heart because I was 50 <laughs> years old at the time. I feel so smart getting to tell the writers that indeed Serena and Venus will change tennis and that that kid Tiger Woods is going to be decent too. Read them, people. Also of note, I may be from Vermont, but I no longer drive a Subaru. I've matured. <laughs> so I read this because like Anna Grierson, I am a sports writer in my soul. In my heart and in my soul, no matter what else I do, I am a sports writer. And as a sports writer, watching what happened this weekend was thrilling. You had the NFL playoffs, which are better than every other playoff, with the, you know, it might be equal to the NCAA college basketball because it's one and done. You have to win, win or go home. That's what makes the NFL the best, win or go home. And unlike in a basketball game, you don't transfer the ball at a set time. You have to earn the ball. You have to stop the other team. There's no 24-second clock, no 30-second clock, no artificial way of creating an environment of close games, which is what basketball has. It's an artificial way. I'm for it. Because when you go to four corners and you kill the entire game, it stinks. But it's artificial. They had to do it to make their game better. The NFL doesn't do that. When you get the ball, you can keep the ball till you score. You can do that. If the other team doesn't stop you, you can do that. When you get to the second round of the playoffs and you have eight teams left, presumably at least six of these are six of the best eight. Often all eight are the best eight, but at least six are the best Six out of the eight. These are good teams, teams with winning records, teams that have accomplished something. So if you beat them, that's a big deal. If you beat them on the road, as happened three times, that's a big deal. But more important 
than beating anybody on the road or having good teams. Every single game was a walk-off. That's never happened before. Three field goals and a touchdown in OT. That's never happened before. It's the greatest array of playoff games ever. It's better than every other sport ever. It's better than itself because it's the first time this ever happened. You had a kick. Let's just go. You had Cincinnati, which I didn't think belonged at all with Tennessee. I thought Tennessee was going to win by 15 or 20 points. Cincinnati gets the ball back late. Joe Burrow hits a couple of passes. And that kid, McPherson, he's in the he's potentially, I don't want to go crazy because he's a rookie, but he's potentially in the Justin Tucker class. I mean, this kid made everything. Justin Tucker's the best kicker in football, yes. maybe the best kicker ever. And this kid looked to be in his class. Then you had Green Bay at home in the snow in the second half, losing on terrible special teams play. Three terrible, terrible plays. Aaron Rodgers played fine. He wasn't like Ryan Tannehill, who stunk the joint out. Aaron Rodgers played fine, but he lost. And a lot of people feel that that is karma, that Aaron Rodgers got exactly what he deserved for his immunization comments and his haughtiness all year long and his need to involve all of us in his particular psychodrama as to whether he stays or whether he goes. Wilbon feels this way. Wilbon loves Aaron Rodgers' quarterback. Happy he lost. Happy he lost. Yesterday, the games were even better. The games were even better because there was more offense. There was so much more offense. Tom Brady, game over, right? Tom Brady down 27-3. Game over. Tom Brady can't complete anything. Tom Brady low and away on every pass, it seemed. Low and away, right? Bloodied getting called for penalties. Right. Getting called for mouthing off to the referee. Wilbon said, oh, he's such a whiner. He's such a whiner. I'm glad. The rest of us saw his bloody lip and thought something happened. Anyway, we move on from that. Comes back, comes back from 27-3. Does everything, he does what he's supposed to do. He ties the game with how much left? Not much left would be the correct answer. <laughs> Not much left. Under a minute left. Key for the day as he a whole. Not ties much left. the game. And then Matthew Stafford gets out there and does something that none of us understand how it's even humanly possible to do. Find Cooper Cup alone twice. Who's calling the plays? I mean, honestly, Todd Bowles, who we love, who started here in Washington. How is this guy the best receiver in the league this year? All pro first team, the triple crown. Number of passes caught. Number of touchdown passes caught. Number of yards gained. Number one in all three, the triple crown for receivers. How is he wide open? on the last two plays of the game with under a minute when the other team has no timeouts. And they get in a position, and unlike Dak Prescott, <laughs> Matthew Stafford runs up there, spikes the ball, and they kick a field goal. Then the next game, and I was uh, the, the TV is on and I fell asleep, which is just so awful. But, I mean, you have in Josh Allen and, well, Patrick Mahomes the best. He's better than Brady. He's better than Rodgers. He's been the best for three years. He's the best quarterback, the most talented quarterback. If you don't tackle him, he's going to beat you. He's going to run around and either run for it and slide. He does not get hit. Holds the ball out on the sideline right beyond the marker. He does not get hit. Or he's going to release it from nine different positions in his throwing motion down the field. Because he is the best quarterback. I don't know if he will be ever, but he's the best right now. He is given the ball with no time to go. 13 seconds. And he goes, he completes two or three passes. And, two, yeah. and then the field goal kicker, that's no chip shot. 49. The, that's 49 yards. You can miss that almost half the time is my guess. 40% of the time you miss that. And then they go to overtime and he goes right down the field. Of course he goes right down the field. And there's this notion that there was a story in the Washington Post today, the spine of which was that Josh Allen and um, – Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, are showing you, in, in essence, what Manning and Brady showed you. And that's a nice conceit, but it leaves out Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. And I wouldn't be leaving out Joe Burrow yet, because Joe Burrow, with a team that had a losing record last year, is in the final game. He's in the conference final, and he looks to be great. And, and those two games were better. The Sunday games were better than the Saturday games. It is... 
It's the greatest, right? It's the greatest weekend of the greatest sport of all time from from a spectator standpoint. And, and even better looking having seen super, super, duper wildcard weekend that fell flat in so many ways. That's right. And the pacing to how these games were played over Saturday and Sunday when they started. I was thinking this. I texted Chris. The fact that you were able to watch the end of that game last night before 10 o'clock. Think about what kids are going to be able to watch that. Who's able to stay up for it because it's Only not. Only if you're 73 do you Yeah, I know. The, the best is you were in a shared text chain with a few a few other people. And I was texting with Chad. And then Nick was he asleep? Yeah, Radio like, silence. Yeah, yeah. I sort of stopped at that point. Uh, but. but but to your basketball analogy here, you you are seeing what you would often find in say the round of sixteen or the elite eight, which these are the games that you're you're going to remember when you need buzzer late beaters. February, March all comes of around. All of them have to be buzzer beaters to get in this league. All of them. All the baseball World Series games have to be walk-offs to get in this league. And yesterday, the, the late game highlighted this even more than any of the others. The proficiency that these quarterbacks uh, have right now, it doesn't matter where they are in the field when they get the ball no. inside two minutes, what their timeout situation is left. Both guys are going down the middle uh, when you have seconds to few seconds to spare. And, and just the awareness as to how they spike the ball to get in position. Very well coached. I mean, you look know at coming, you're looking out at the, coming out of that two minute warning, and fourth and thirteen, you go straight to the end zone. You're not just trying to get to the chains and see what you can do inside a minute and a half. Then, so I'll tell a small story that I'm sure I've told a thousand times before, and this has to do with the Doug Flutie game when Doug Flutie beat Miami in the Orange Bowl, not in a bowl game, but in a regular season bowl, and through what is likely the most famous pass in the history of college football to Gerard Phelan in the front part of the end zone. And I know because I was in the front part of the end zone. Prior to that, Bernie Kosar had taken Miami down the field. And at that point, I was in the press box. And I don't know how much time was left, but it was under two minutes, I think. I want to say it was 28 seconds. Well, I didn't know that it was under a minute. But if somebody could look this up, you could let me know down the road. How much time was left when Doug Flutie got the ball? Because at that point, I was in the company of a couple of assistant coaches from the University of Miami. And one said to another... I'm worried we gave him too much time. It wasn't a lot of time. I'm worried we gave him too much time. This is what you should worry about in the NFL when you get to the final eight teams and they all have quarterbacks that are pretty good. You worry that you give somebody the most time. Too much time. I would say this about Patrick Mahomes. <clears throat> he got the ball with how much to go? 28? Patrick Mahomes, 13, 17, 13, 13 seconds. Some ridiculously small thing. I am surprised, and I use that word very specifically, because there's two words I'm going to use. I am surprised that Patrick Mahomes got it down the field to have a chance to tie the game. But I'm not stunned, because I've watched Patrick Mahomes. I'm not stunned when Tom Brady does this. I'm not stunned when Doug Flutie did this in Miami. I'm not stunned when great quarterbacks... Aaron Rodgers. Is Matthew Stafford a great quarterback? No, he's awfully good, though. I'm not stunned when they do it because they practice it and they know what they're doing. You have the time on Flutie? Uh, yeah, 28 seconds. That's 28. He yeah. goes down okay, the field. Okay, but then you look at what he did at the end of the – you know, you break down the two-minute warning in, into minute one and minute two, what he did at the end when he got that touchdown to, to Hill, and you go, this is what makes the overtime even more infuriating because you see what these guys can do when they get the ball and to not even let – Josh Allen, get one more chance, not to let yeah. him touch the ball. Well, you can, you know, stop him. Stop the other team. And that's how you get Josh Allen one more chance. This is what I said earlier. You have to stop the other team. This isn't basketball. Sure. You have to stop them. But you're, but by rule, you're allowing them to say if they get a field goal, then you get the ball back. That's right. To, okay, so stop that, from a touchdown. But that is, still, that is still points on the board. Yeah, but you have a chance to come back at that point because they only got a field goal. You get the chance. The rule is written. If sure, you're not if you, good enough you to score, stop them. If you score a touchdown and say they only elected to go for the one, you still then have the chance to beat them. No, touchdown ends it. Six ends it. Yeah, no, I'm saying if you are allowing the other team to get the ball back oh, right. and someone says settled for the seven, you look at the permutations of— yeah, I like of, it this way. Okay. I just think that was that was one of the one of the most enjoyable fifteen minutes of live sports to walk. It's a, it's a shared experience, and to see it end like that, you just go to so, you say, "I want a little bit more. I want to see some finality to this that doesn't just seem like you want in a coin toss." And you see, I mean, you see photographers cheering when they got the ball back because they know they're going to go down the field. It's a gassed defense. 
So I would say that of all the games, I would say that it's possible in some of the games, maybe in the Green Bay game, you could say Green Bay lost that game. The other team didn't beat them. They lost that game because of the terrible special teams play. I think it's possible to look at Tennessee and say they lost that game because Tannehill gave the ball away so many times. Not yesterday. Those games were won. Nobody lost those games. I mean, if Josh Allen and Buffalo think they didn't lose, they got beat. (laughs) They got beat. That's what happened to Tom Brady. He got beat because Tom Brady went right. Josh Allen and Tom Brady went down the field and did their jobs. As Bill Belichick would say, do your job. <laughs> Those games were great. Just great. Now, I know you had the TV on, but you weren't watching. The The way that the that end of the game was framed on TV, the way that they were able to talk about it, the ISOing on the kicker as he's getting ready, and they're trying to break down. If it's 60-plus, does he have any chance? Right. What was he doing yeah. in warm-ups? It was just it was wonderfully produced. Yeah. The pacing on it was great. It's the best, it's the best weekend of the best sport in yeah, terms of spectating. And again, to echo what Michael said, I mean, after last week's dud, yeah. you know, so many awful games that were please deliver, and it over-delivered this weekend. And considering this is all after what Grayson Allen did. Yes. And speaking of which, Michael Wilbon will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the X-Chair read. From the moment you sit in an X-Chair, your body will immediately say, ah... So this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. This is new copy. I'm looking at it for the first time. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? X-Chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? X-Chair can. It's all in the Elamax massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. And once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, or DVL, of course, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all reasons to love the X chair. I'm sitting in an X chair. Yes. I like it. What's your body saying? My body's saying this is good. But love, what's love got to do with it, as (laughs) Tina Turner would say? High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort, reasons to love the X chair. Try X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back. Go to xchairtony.com now. That's the letter X, chair, T-O-N-Y, dot com, or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. XCHAIRTONY.com. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The state of basketball today. Players are too good, so they say. Too easy to score. The points they simply pour. The solution's easy when you watch them play. Raise the hoop. Raise the rim. Right now it's level with Antetokounmpo's chin. Raise the rim. Let's see the group. Who can dunk on a 12-foot hoop? It's not the game of Naismith or even Adolph Rupp. I want to see these guys go up and up and up. Stephen Clay for three. The ball's in the stratosphere. DeAndre Ayton dunks. The fans are going crazy here. Adam Silver, don't be dim. Raise the rim. The great Dan Byrne. Most people at 12 feet, not all can dunk. Some can dunk at 12 feet. Plays in Michael Wilbon. That's the greatest weekend of televised football of all time, wouldn't you say? Four walk-offs. Wouldn't you say that's yeah, a, and, and high level, you, high level? Have, there must have been some weekend, you know, in the 80s or 70s. We, you know, we all forget about stuff. Other great weekends we say we won't forget about, and then we do. And I, at some point today or tonight, I may go back and try to find – a weekend where I go, oh, okay, wait a minute, we forgot that with Montana and Elway and, you know, Marino and, you know, whatever, Starback and, you know, but, 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 how, you can't, how can you get better than this right now? You, you, yeah. you, we're all prisoners of the moment, but this is worth being a prisoner of because those games were staggering. I mean, just the fact that the ball was in the air, three field goals and a pass on the final play of the game, 
is uh, enough. And then the games themselves just all, you know, it's not like they were uh, awful games that were had great finishes. These were these were great games, each and every one of them. Obviously, last night with Kansas City was the best. Um, and I, I guess the one with Cincinnati was the least dramatic, and it was still dramatic. You know, the whole Joe Burrow game, getting sacked nine times and getting thrown around like a rag doll. So it, it, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it was just incredible from soup to nuts. It was, and each game I think got a little bit better. Um, yesterday's games had all the offense that you could want. I was saying this in the open. Tom Brady and Josh Allen did everything they're supposed to do. They, yeah. they, they went down the field with almost no time to go, and then suddenly uh, the other team went down the field the same way and won the game or tied the game in the case of Kansas City. It, it's, I sent you a text in the second quarter of the Kansas City game saying how, how great I believe that Mahomes is. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's in a, to me, in a different category, Mahomes. Right? Maybe, Tony, but he wasn't any better than Josh Allen. He no, wasn't. no, no. Josh Allen was great. <laughs> he, was, he was great. I mean, when Josh Allen goes down the field and throws that touchdown pass, yeah, you know, I, you know, I'm watching with a crew of people I often watch with family and close friends like family. And, and you know, you, people are coming off the sofa screaming like it was a, a, the, the end of the Super Bowl. And then I remember I, I remember saying that to, to Neville and, um, and, and Matthew, and, um, among others in my house, and I remember saying, it's 13 seconds. It's 13 seconds enough. And you go, nah, nah, you can't, you can't get there in 13 seconds. You'd have to have a penalty. You'd have to have a 50-yard launch and a penalty passing a fair yeah. penalty that could put you in place. They didn't need that. No. He didn't need it. Three no, plays in 13 no. seconds. But Josh Allen, Josh Allen to me was every bit as good as Mahomes, every bit as good as Brady. I, the only people I felt for this weekend, as it turns out, because I've been there uh, covering football in, in those places in, in Buffalo, specifically Buffalo. I don't care about anybody else's fans. Buffalo's fans have, have endured more than anybody's fans with great teams because those teams lost. Now, I was never, you know, obviously the Super Bowl was not in Buffalo, but not I was in there Buffalo. in Buffalo for title games. And it's, just, it's not possible to sort of um, have to put up, have to endure more than Buffalo's fans. And I was, you know, thrilled Green Bay lost, of course, because I'm a Bears fan. Um, first time I ever rooted against um, Rodgers. Yeah, you felt Rodgers got what he deserved this time. Yeah. Yeah, 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 karma, baby, yeah, <laughs> karma. So take a hike. Um, so I was glad, to, glad that he lost. I never felt that way before about him. So let me um, ask you about the Buffalo thing, and very specifically, because Phil Sapaglia is from Buffalo, and he's listening, and he works in the radio department at ESPN, and it's worked with me for years and years and years, and he believes this is the worst loss they've ever endured. And I would have said, no, a Super Bowl has to be worse than this. But Phil thinks it's this, and I take it you agree with that. Yeah, I do. Two of the, so there was one close Super Bowl, wide whatever, right? Wide right, the, the, Scott Norwood. Okay, yeah. Norwood. Um, I was thinking about this last night because, because again, I've, I've been there. I mean, th- listen, of all the cities I've covered playoff games in, and that's damn near all of them, um, if not all of them, the Buffalo Bills, when you, when you, Tony, you know this, when you are in Buffalo and it is – the snow is swirling, oh. and it's you know oh. 16 degrees. It is so electric there. Yep. They care about it yep. so much. They don't have the NBA. They don't have Major League Baseball. They do have hockey. But there's nothing like it. And you get goosebumps when you're in Buffalo before you know for a big game. And I I I think this is the worst they've endured. You know Matthew was with one of his buddies uh, on the phone. They're going back and forth. And this kid, Joey, wonderful little kid that, you know, I've gotten to know. And these kids are 13. They don't have the hurt yet. But they they have scars because their parents have them. And this is a, you know, D.C. kid, but does a kid. And he, after, when, when, when they go down the field, Josh Allen goes down the field, he's, he, I hear Matthew say, Joey's got his jersey, he's got his Bills jersey, he's got his Josh Allen jersey and his pennant, and he's going nuts. And I'm thinking about how, 
how that how crushed that kid and his parents were. Yeah. Thirteen seconds, man. It it it. I I I think this is the worst law. I think this is worse. And I'll talk to grownups from Buffalo today. I got. I got a lot of friends from Buffalo uh, to live call here. Barbara so not, you know. I'll call Barbara Lupica and yeah, find out Barbara how she Lupica. feels about yeah. it. Oh, my oh. God. So, so, yeah, I think I might agree with him on that, Tom. Let's go to the game before that because you and I had the exact same question. Matthew Stafford gets the ball with under a minute to go and no timeouts. They're going to, you know, that game's going overtime. No doubt in anybody's mind that game's going overtime. And when it goes to overtime, Brady's going to win it because that's, that's how the script is written. And Matthew Stafford finds Cooper Cup alone, yeah. two yeah. in a row alone. Yeah. Yeah. What? How does that happen alone? Yeah, you know, I'm going to watch more football this morning than I normally do. I was, I, as I told you, I was going to call our, our buddy Swagoo and say, yeah. "Hey, how does this happen as a defensive player?" And then Tony, I'm like, the phone is in my hand, and I start to get preoccupied with the other game because each game had crazy stuff from the start. That's right. And, I, and, I, and That's I, right. I got preoccupied and I didn't call him. And all of a sudden, you're involved in the Buffalo game. And you're like, what? What is going on in this thing? Um, and so we, I'll have to listen. We'll find out today because they'll all have the opinions I could have gotten last night I didn't get. But Cooper, Cooper Cup is uncovered more than any great receiver I have ever seen. Leading me to what many may think is a preposterous conclusion – but this, this is what I'm, I want to ask someone. Is it possible that this kid is open because players on the field, black and white, see a white receiver, of which there are just not many of anymore, not, not, not deep threats, it's slot guys. Do they, is it possible they just dismiss him? Yeah, yeah, he, he's not here. He's not, he's not, they can't burn me. He can't beat me deep. Is it possible? Players white and black, coaches white and black. Is that possible even in this day and age? And well, if you're I, asking me, I actually asked Booger McFarland this last night in a text. Oh, good. And he said that exact same thing, and I wrote him back that this is Will Bond's theory. And he said, yes, he believes that black DBs don't think that a wide, a wide out, a white wide out can beat them. That's what he said to me. And that would be supportive of your theory. Because this guy's yeah. open. He's, he's won the triple crown. He's, he's the best yards. receiver this year. Yeah, he's the best receiver in all of football this year. Yeah. How can you not respect that? How can you we're not, not double about, him? We're not what? talking about throwing into a tight window. We're talking about this dude is taking Uber to a different place <laughs> yes. on the field. <laughs> That's right. Are you kidding me? That's right. That's I'm right. constantly saying, constantly picking up the phone. I'm glad you did that. I, I didn't get to it again. I'm, I'm constantly picking up the phone saying whoever I'm watching games with on normal Sundays to Don, to, you know, you know, to Rebel. Why is this guy open by this much? How is this possible? And it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of many things this weekend that was a wow. So looking ahead, the team that on March 18th I went on television and said when the trade was made, that's Super Bowl team. I don't think I said they'd win the Super Bowl. I think I said I'd no, get the Super Bowl. But I know them. I said Stafford would be the MVP. I'm wrong on that. I'm clearly yeah. wrong on that. And that, that's okay. But I'm still alive with them getting to the You're Super Bowl. You're alive on the important call. Very but important. San Francisco has beaten them six in a row. Yeah, they're going to get crushed. They're going to get crushed. The Rams are going to crush them. You can, you can save this clip. The Rams are going to pop them. Because... At this point, Tony, Jimmy G hasn't just been unmasked. I mean, he, you know, it's like he's, he's just standing out there and everybody's looking at him going, are, are, are you kidding me? His team wins? Well, not because of him. It's, it's clearly and utterly despite him. How many games? Kyle Shanahan is Vince Lombardi at this point. Kyle Shanahan, he, he was so distrustful of Jimmy G. In late in that game, Tony, that rather than throw it on third he and seven, he, he calls ran. a he calls a run play. Troy, I I've never heard Troy Aikman as dismissive of a quarterback and his abilities in a game of consequence than Troy Aikman was on what was that Saturday? I've yes. never I've never heard. It. And, and by game. the way, all I I just sat there saying, Amen. Thank God Troy will say this. Thank God Troy is honest enough 
not to sugarcoat this. And he didn't. He wasn't abusive. He wasn't cheap, cheap shotting him. But but Tony, you can look. If Jimmy G wins another game, he should. He, he should. If he goes to a second Super Bowl, I mean, you know his record I, in the playoffs is four and one. Four and one. It's four and one. And, and, four and, and, one. and yet, and yet, I wouldn't trust him. Tony, right. he couldn't complete a pass the previous week, a swing pass to a six foot seven inch tight end. That's right. That's, no, you're right about that. And what about in the other game, Kansas City, Cincinnati? You, I thought Tennessee was going to kill Cincinnati. I did. Yeah, me too. Because I don't, I, I don't want to believe in, in Cincinnati. And what they've got, they've got. First of all, you know, one of the, I think the the two words I hate most in sports in the last ten years are culture and swag. I hate. Yeah, I don't like either of them. Because I because don't like line people, to gain no, either. Well, yeah, I, I actually, though, I think that does help people who are just learning the game to figure that to figure out what's going on. But, mm. but Tony, culture most teams don't have. And I, I said the other night on our basketball show, our countdown, I said the one team that does have culture and therefore I think can win the NBA championship is the Miami Heat, because they they have it. They do have culture, <clears throat> and they have it from the top down. You can see it everywhere, right down to the court with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo on the way they play. So culture overused. Swag, oh my God! People start talking about swag the moment a kid is eleven years old, and he makes his first three. It's like shut up with this. Well, the Cincinnati Bengals have won for certain. They got swag. They got I mean, that. Joe Burrow has has that in abundance, and he doesn't seem to be in you know small company. I mean, they all have it, and they seem to be having a culture change. They seem to. Now, if they go out there and they lay an egg Sunday, then, okay, we can, we can dial that back a little bit. But right now, man, I don't want to believe them. Because I was in – conversely, I've been in Cincinnati for big playoff games, for playoff games. They've lost them. And they've them. gotten their butts whipped. Yep, they have. They've lost them. And so, I, you know, I don't know what to make of it yet. It's fun to watch. It is. And I'm not a Joe Burrow guy. I don't mean I, I don't like him. I just don't feel anything for him. He's not a guy that, I, that resonates with me. But he may. I mean, he's starting to. The way he's playing and the way he's got them playing, guy goes down nine times nine on times the road and, win. and wins. Win. He, he's got yeah. to get a standing ovation. All right. I will talk to you later. Have a good day until PTR. All right. And then sounds we'll good, Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, we will take a break. Barry Sverluga will join us when we return to give his thoughts on these things and on the football coaching tree in Washington, D.C., none of whom are here anymore and seem to be still playing. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the FrameBridge read. FrameBridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever leaving the house. Add a gallery wall to your home office or send the perfect gift. From art prints and diplomas to the photos sitting on your phone, you can frame you can frame bridge used as a verb just about anything you do this michael yeah we're doing uh, we're looking into it right now to get a new gallery wall for upstairs for the uh, hallway going through old pictures from our travel pre-kids just go to framebridge.com trips i wasn't invited on <laughs> just go to framebridge.com and upload your photo or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces preview your item online in dozens of frame styles and gallery wall layouts choose your favorite or get free recommendations from their talented designers this is what we did with Brook 40. That's right. That's exactly what we're doing. The experts at FrameBridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door ready to hang. Instead of the hundreds you'd pay at a framing store, their prices start at $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, listeners to this high-quality podcast will get 15% off their first order at FrameBridge.com when they use the code TONYK. By the way, you can go to a FrameBridge store if you live in New York or Washington or Atlanta, Philadelphia, Boston, or Chicago. Get started today. Frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift. Go to framebridge.com, use the promo code Tony K to save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com, promo code Tony K. And one more time, framebridge.com, promo code Tony K. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. How do you measure the distance from D.C. to Saskatoon? Rope and a yard stick. Rope and a yard stick. How do you measure the distance to the moon? Rope and a yard stick. Rope and a yard stick. 
yardstick. What a thrill. One strong and straight, one's flexible. How do you measure the distance from the earth to the new James Webb? Rope and a yardstick. Rope and a yardstick. How do you measure minute bull's legs? Rope and a yardstick. Rope and a yardstick. It's brilliant. He's brilliant. He says, I'm about to do my 879 miles back across Texas. Thank God for the show. Dan Byrne. Total earworm. Absolutely brilliant. Plays in Barry's Verluga. Question number one. Are you going to the Olympics? I am indeed. Okay. So talk to me about the Olympics just, just in this regard. I don't feel anything for the Olympics. The last Olympics just concluded 10 days ago. And these are at the other end of the earth as well. And it's the Winter Olympics. And other, honestly, than Michaela Schifrin, and of course I know Sean White's name, but I'm sick of him because he's been doing it for 30 years. But other than Michaela Schifrin, I don't know anybody in these Olympics. How am I going to... Do you feel that people want these Olympics? Do you feel clamor for these things? No, no. And for some of the reasons that you mentioned, I mean, one... They are on the heels of a delayed games and feel out of rhythm. I mean, if you walk down the street and ask people, like, are the Olympics in two weeks? Like, the overwhelming answer is going to be, wait, what? The Olympics? Like, no. Um, where yeah. are they? Yeah. Um, there's not – so, you know, normally the Olympic calendar has a nice rhythm and build, and, and it's, it feels normal. This doesn't feel normal. The fact that they're in China, which doesn't – you know, Beijing does not exactly – screen winter olympics like maybe oslo or stockholm would um no and, not and at again all. Right. You're, not at you're right like yeah you flip the the clock around and it's you know it asian olympics are hard for americans to consume because you either are so into it that you're you know avoiding information all day so that you can watch the primetime package show at night or you're following it you, you're getting your information during the day and you have no reason to watch it at night because you already know what happened so um you're not wrong i I, you know i I am part of my job to go to these things and i'm gonna document it as as best i can but i'm I'm not gonna pretend that there's an enormous amount of american anticipation about them is there a big story is i mean i got very lucky i did one winter olympics in my life it was lillehammer and i had tanya harding well, it had never been a bigger story, so I was the luckiest guy in the world, and I wrote it every single day. Is there a big story? I mean, the biggest story athletically is is probably Michaela Schifrin, certainly from a, an American standpoint. She has um, the ability and certainly uh, the expectation that, you know, with another medal, she'll become the, the most decorated American alpine skier. Um, she could win multiple medals, but it's a fickle sport, so, you know, you, you don't know how that's going to work out. But, no, there's no, you know, leading character, uh, you know, Michelle Kwan type of figure sca- skater. Um, there's no Eric Hyden. Um, there's not what you would normally think of as, you know, a list of, um, oh, here are the five obvious uh, American stars. Um, and then, you know, I, I would also say that I was really looking forward to the the men's hockey um, because it was a good involved. It's over. You know, Alex yeah, Ovechkin over. and yeah. Sidney Crosby. And, I mean, that would have been – and the American team would have been young and fun. Um, there's going to be a men's hockey tournament. It's going to include nobody that you have ever heard of. And that, that lessens that That's whole right. um, competition. The women's hockey is fun. But it's going to come down to America and Canada, as it always does. So it's kind of a wait for that. So, you know, really, Tony, the the story, unfortunately, is going to be China itself. And and should the International Olympic Committee be doing business with a, you know, a country that is continuing to have a horrible human rights record? And that's a, a lousy, you know, frame for what we would like to be an athletic competition and, and something that everybody would be excited about. So um, I don't mean to be a downer about it, but uh, it's, you know, as somebody who's been issued burner phones and burner laptops so that the Chinese don't 
explore my, all my information and communication, um, there's, there's more reasons to be kind of, you know, apprehensive about these games than there are to be excited. Have you been to China in your life? 2008 Olympics. That's it. Wasn't, okay. wasn't itching so to go back been. after so those. I, yeah. So I've been, when I went to Korea... Um, we went to China afterwards. A bunch of us went to China afterwards, and it was in that period of time before Tiananmen Square where it looked like there was nascent freedom, you know, and it really was to some degree. And what I remember most about China was when I was a kid, we used to have Chinese food every Sunday, every Sunday, usually shrimp and lobster sauce or or you know, spare ribs or something very, very common for most Americans to consume in terms of Chinese food, what later became known as Cantonese Chinese food. There was no Sichuan Chinese food. There was no particular heat to it. It was, but it was fine. Well, I went to China, Barry, and we got friendly with some people who were sports people and would always wear like Laker outfits and Abdul-Jabbar shirts and they spoke enough English to take us, a bunch of us, to native Chinese restaurants, like not tourist restaurants, not in the strip of tourism. And we ate food that was so great that it's 40 years. I can't eat Chinese food in America anymore. I don't care about it. I never eat it. I always used to like it, but the food was so great that sort of was all vegetables and stuff, and it was so fabulous that it ruined my life for Chinese food. Did you, when you were in China the first time, did you have any experience like that with food? I don't know yes. why I've drifted so, to this, but did you? No, yeah, it, yeah, it makes sense. And, it, and uh, I have two examples. Um, one, uh, the day after the games ended, um, a bunch of us from the post, Sally Jenkins was there, Boz was there, um, Shinin would have been there, um, went for a big... Uh, Peking duck dinner. Um, and this was not touristy. We were advised by the Beijing bureau people at the time. Uh, and it was just a, a, a feast. I mean, it was so, so good. Um, and then the other was a, a little offshoot. Dave Shinen of the Post and I uh, somehow ended up in a restaurant um, near where we were staying. And it seemed like a divey place, exactly what you'd want to go. And I can't remember how we figured out the translation of the name, um, but the translation of the name was Country Ass. And the reason it was Country <laughs> Ass, we figured out, was that everything on the menu was donkey. Uh, and so we oh, looked at each okay. other and, uh, and said, we can either get up and walk out of this donkey restaurant, um, <laughs> or we can eat the various... Uh, styles of donkey they're about to serve us. We, we elected to eat the various style of donkey. Um, I can't say it made me quit Chinese food for the rest of my life, but uh, yeah, it was a definitely yeah. a distinct culinary experience. Did you climb the wall? I climbed the wall. I have a t-shirt that says I climbed the wall. Did you? I did. I climbed the wall with, um, among other people, Tom Boswell, uh, Jonathan Newton, the great photographer. Um, yeah, that was quite a, that was quite a scene. Um, and, and, but I mean, Tony, this time, um, you know, we, we won't, there will be no offshoot uh, restaurants right. for us. There will be no wall right. climbing. We are getting deposited into an Olympic bubble. Um, we are eating only at our hotel and the press center and the, and the venues. Um, there's no dives to explore. There's no going into the city. If you, if you go outside the bubble, you're going to be kicked out uh, and sent back home. So, um, Again, not trying to be a downer, but it's a completely different cultural experience this time around. Fantastic. You can use a verb. I was Djokovic'd. <laughs> I was deported. I was Djokovic'd. Um, so let me get to this other thing. There were, eight, there were eight teams left in the NFL playoffs. Three of them were coached by people who coached on Washington at the same time. Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay. Two of them have now made the Final Four and in that period of time, if I'm not mistaken, the head coach of Washington was Jay Gruden. How in God's name did that happen? Well, okay, so you're partially right in that Jay Gruden was the head coach, but those three came to Washington with Mike Shanahan, um, all on his original staff in, in 2010. 
Um, Kyle, obviously, a young offensive coordinator, 30 years old at the time, who had been sent away by Mike saying, you have to go prove yourself someplace else before you come work for me. Um, so he did that with Gary Kubiak in, in, um, in Houston. LaFleur was one of Kyle's offensive assistants there, so he came to Mike Shanahan's staff at the recommendation of Kyle. And Sean McVay was a 24-year-old um, who had only worked for the Tampa Bay Bucks, who had an amazing staff at, at the time uh, under John Gruden with uh, Monty Kiffin and uh, Raheem Morris and a whole bunch of like really good uh, assistants there. And I remember that I was happened to be on the on the Washington Football Beat at the time, 2010. And I remember uh, in camp, um, Mike Shanahan's first camp. Somebody on staff there came up to me randomly during a practice and was like, whoa, this is Sean McVay. I mean, he's going to be a head coach someday. And you're talking about a 24-year-old with like two years of experience in the league at the time. So Mike Shanahan's last year was 2013. They went 3-13. and um, It was after the uh, RG3 debacle. Um, and if if – Mike Shanahan was fired. Kyle Shanahan's not going to remain on, on staff there, right? Matt LaFleur left and became uh, the quarterback's coach at Notre Dame. Um, and Sean McVay did stay on staff under Gruden and became the offensive uh, coordinator for three years, three years that produced um, some really record-setting, uh, at least for the franchise, numbers from Kirk Cousins. So then, then it becomes time for Sean McVay to be a head coach, um, you've just had back-to-back winning seasons under Jay Gruden, and he has an offer from the Los Angeles Rams, and it becomes essentially, are you going to fire Jay Gruden to keep Sean McVay? Um, and maybe they would have been able to do that, but it was a weird timing. So there's all sorts of like kind of revisionist history of like how could they let these guys get away? Um, and that makes sense given where they've ended up because the Washington football franchise is nowhere and these guys are all ascendant and stars. Yes. Um, but the yes. specifics at the time were, were very strange. Did you see in all three of them what they're doing now? Could, could you have charted it? Could you have said, oh, yes, I, I, yes, you can tell these guys are going to be great? Kyle and McVeigh, absolutely. I did not know LaFleur to that degree. But, but um, Kyle Shanahan, uh, I remember... Um, I was I was doing a story on um, what exactly is on those play sheets that these guys hold over their mouths to like uh, you know disguise what they're saying from from the other sideline as if they you know the other sideline is full of fifty three lip readers um, yeah. and he was so confident and so bright and so um, wanting to share his kind of football knowledge that. I remember standing with him in a, in a hallway. He went and got his sheet, and he explained the whole thing. And here's the here's plays on third between seven and ten yards to go, on second down between first and five. These are my choices. Um, and he just was – it was a language that he could speak, and he had learned it from his dad, and he was so fluent that if he was – Speaking French as a Native American speaker, Parisians wouldn't have been able to tell that he was a Native American speaker. Um, uh, he or Native English speaker. He he just he he absorbed and lived the sport to a degree that his dad did, um, and and you could see that uh, you know it wasn't going to happen in Washington, but but he had it in front of him. And, and McVeigh, who wasn't calling plays at the time, um, had a similar kind of just his mind um, thought in football and captured football and remembered football. And it was, and it was, um, you know, almost photographic in it, in its memory. I didn't know LaFleur to that degree, but endorsements of, of Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay would go a long way in my book and, and they endorsed him. So um, yeah, it really amazing that they ended up in these three positions. And, and, you know, as I said, I think we should all believe that they're ascendant, um, figures I, I in that story i wrote last week i think there was something going into last weekend they had those three had coached in coached 13 seasons as head coaches and and already coached in made nine trips to the playoffs um in the last 13 seasons 
Washington had made like two trips to the playoffs or something like that. So um, just quite a stark contrast for sure. Jay Gruden, not in that league. Well, what are you going to do? Barry, thank you. Can we call you in the Olympics? As long as you're going to be in a bubble, it's not like we're going to interrupt you from doing something important. (laughs) Yeah, no, please do. I'll be happy to uh, uh, give you the lay of the land over there. Good, 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 good. Thank you. Have a good trip. Have a good, safe trip. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. Barry's Verluga, boys and girls. We will come back with email and jingle. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Binghamton's own Chris Ullman, world's greatest whistler. Grateful for that. You want to do the Bethesda Bagels ad? Yes, thank Got you. Sandwiches. Got the sandwiches. Sandwiches on a Monday. It's always a great way to start the week. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. So you wrote you write lyrics every single day and I don't know these. Oh, baby, you're oh. the only thing in this whole world that's pure and good and right. And wherever you are and wherever you go, there's always going to be some light. And I don't know that. That is bad out of hell. Is that right? Yes. I know Bat Out of Hell. Yeah. I just am not focusing on the internal part of Bat Out of Hell. Yes. All right. Thanks to our guests today, to Will Bond, to Barry's Verluga. Thanks to today's sponsors, Framebridge and X-Chair. You know, I would have said like a Bat Out of Hell, I'll be gone, gone, gone. Right. I should. You know? Yeah. I just, lo- I just love that particular. The gates verse. of heaven rolling on back to you. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. From Adam Mandel, who is a friend of mine and who um, got me golf balls when I thought it was Mike Breen, if you remember that story. <laughs> he writes, we talked via text on Friday about your Barry Landsberg mention on Friday's pod. I thought other littles and listeners would appreciate this quick small world story we shared. Quickly to recap, you mentioned you recently received a note from an old 30-year acquaintance from Long Beach, Barry Landsberg, who wrote to tell you how much he enjoys the pod. You particularly remarked that nobody would have any idea who he was. Alas, I was half listening to the pod while working. My ears perked up, and I had a David, David Aldridge moment because I know that guy, kind of, sort of. Landsberg. Landsberg, I know that name. I quickly went to the Google machine and confirmed my suspicion. You see, my father, who's roughly your age, grew up in the Bronx in one of those big Jewish families where grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc., all lived in the same building or on the same block. Anyway, families like these always had a jeweler they all used and passed down that connection from generation to generation, as did my parents to me. That jeweler, Norman Landsberg Jewelry on 47th Street. Norman opened his booth on 47th Street in 1948 and unfortunately passed away at 94 early on in COVID. 94, not a bad run. Anyway, Landsberg Jewelers is where my parents got their wedding rings and I got my wife and my wedding ring over 25 years ago. Norman's son, Jonathan, now runs the business and here it is. One of Norman's other sons is, yep, Barry Landsberg. So every time you mention someone you think nobody will have any idea about, you never know. There's probably someone out there in this small world who knows them or has some connection to them. It's a long run. 94 years old. That is. That's the, you know, that's the diamond business. Uh, This is from Jim Lipson from Tucson via Lindbrook. Lindbrook, my home. Go Owls, he writes. <laughs> I couldn't let you put a bow on the Ronnie Spector thing until we had a chance to at least acknowledge her 1972nd act. In fact, it's a little surprising this was missed by Jeannie and her remembrance being the Springsteen fan she is. Or is that Liz? That's Liz. To tell you the truth, it's still hard to tell the two of them apart, which makes me wonder. Have these alleged two women ever been seen together in the same place at the same time? Yeah, I didn't think so, but I digress. But back to Ronnie. It was none other than John Lennon in the early days of his New York City household House husband gig who is partially responsible. I'll let Ronnie pick it up from here as she told USA Today Network New Jersey in 2017. She says, I'm walking down the street in New York City, mid-70s, and I hear this voice yell out, Hey, Ronnie, Ronnie Ronette. So I turn around, it's John Lennon. I actually met John the first night we landed in the UK in January of 64. Anyway, John asked me how I'm doing. I tell him, not good. I need to make music. John said he was busy being a house husband, taking care of his son, but introduced me to his engineer, Jimmy Iovine. Iovine was the engineer on Born to Run. He's a lot more famous than that. That night, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Jimmy invited me down to the record plant where he was working with a band from Jersey. When I walked into the studio, I met little Steven, who was producing Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, and Springsteen was there too. And right on the spot, Bruce rewrote a song for me and Johnny to sing as a duet. You mean so much to me, baby. They were all excited when I showed up and more excited when I started to sing. I was surprised they even knew me. After that, I started hanging around in Asbury Park with the guys doing shows at the Stone Pony and all over the place. 
The second part of my career really started in Asbury Park. Those guys treated me like a sister and really helped me get back to what I love doing, rock and roll. They always looked out for me and would never let me get into any trouble. The next year, 1977, she was backed by the E Street Band when they were unable to record due to legal problems. Where's Abby Lowell when you need him? Recording two songs, Baby Please Don't Go and Say Goodbye to Hollywood. And in case you were wondering, yes, that Say Goodbye to Hollywood, written by Cold Spring Harbor's own Billy Joel. In a tweet following our death, Van Zandt said, her record with the E Street Band helped sustain us at a very precarious time. And then from Southside Johnny, who championed her for years, she was definitely one of the high points of my teenage years, one of the high points of my touring life. When she came on stage with the Jukes, the crowd went crazy, and I got to play castanets. Who could ask for more? Isn't that lovely? That's, That's fantastic. Lovely. Um, we have a, a haiku for Wendy from Shad, of course. Suggestive, filthy, the world's most dangerous guest, why we love Wendy. <laughs> from David Collier in Verna Park, Maryland. A posthumous congratulations to the talented and eponymous, is that how it's pronounced, eponymous? That means it is the same name. Meatloaf, who had earned A1 below the fold obituaries in both the Washington Post and the New York Times on Saturday. I'm sure Mr. Tony read every word of the former, although his thriftiness may have kept him from savoring the corresponding New York Times obit. I read it because I subscribed. They were both well-written, but here's an interesting passage from the latter. His girth was a, I know this, the Steinman quote, his girth was a frequent source of jives from disc jockeys and magazine caption writers, though Meatloaf was in on the joke. Describing his meeting with Mr. Steinman to the British magazine Mojo in 2017, Meatloaf said he auditioned with a song called I'd Love to Be As Heavy As Jesus. Mr. Steinman impressed told him, by the way, you're as heavy as two Jesuses. It was my kind of humor, Meatloaf recalled. That's Steinman, quite the cut up. R.I.P. to a dynamic duo, which reminds me of something else. And this is a note that I got. I wrote my friend David Sonnenberg, who used to manage Jimmy and Meatloaf. And there was contention between Meatloaf and David for some time, as there was contention between Meat and Jimmy for some time. But I wrote David a note, and I said, you know, look, um, I, I, I know that there was great love and affection for Meatloaf from you, and I wanted to tell you I was sorry for your loss. And then I wrote him back, and he said, thank you. I wrote him back a little while later. I said, you know, David, you're smart. I'm smart. We're both successful. But I'm sitting here. I just asked Alexa to play Jimmy Steinman songs. And I'm sitting here listening to Bad Out Hell. And Steinman's way smarter than we are. <laughs> way smarter. And he wrote this back. And he said, when Steinman was at Amherst, he had gotten a 45 on a math test and a 37, no, a 45 on a science test whatever it was, biology or something, and a 37 on a calc test. And a professor called him in and said, how do you explain this? And Steinman said, I was always better in science than math. That's funny. <laughs> if you're out on your bike tonight, everyone is always do wear white. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm not a, I'm not a kid. <laughs> the state of basketball today players are too good so they say too easy to score the points they simply pour the solutions easy when you watch them play raise the hoop raise the rim right now it's level with Antetokounmpo's chin raise the rim let's see the group who can dunk on a 12 foot hoop it's not the game of Naismith or even Adolph Rupp. I want to see these guys go up and up and up. Steph and Clay for three. The ball's in the stratosphere. DeAndre Ayton dunks. The fans are going crazy here. Adam Silver, don't be dim. Raise the rim. Measure the distance from D.C. to Saskatoon. Rope and a yardstick. Rope and a yardstick. How do you measure the distance to the moon? Rope and a yardstick. Rope and a yardstick. Rope and a yardstick. What a thrill. One strong and straight. One's flexible. How do you measure the distance from the earth to the new James Webb? Rope and a yardstick. Rope and a yardstick. 
How do you measure minute bull's legs? Rope and a yardstick. Rope and a yardstick.